Good morning. The Old Testament reading for today comes from Psalms 145, verses 1 through 13. You can find it at page 665 in your pew Bible. But before we hear the word of God, I ask that you bow with me in prayer. Lord, thank you for all that you, the abundance that you have bestowed upon us. And thank you for giving us your word. And now we ask that you uh, guide us as we read your word. Uh, Guide us to open our eyes to see what you would have us see, our hearts to, to, uh, to, our ears to hear what you would have us hear, and our hearts to receive your word and apply it. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another and declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout the generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Thanks, Clint. Good morning again. As we are looking at, one of the core values of our church is being an intergenerational church. And uh, Will has spoken on that, and Howard... And I will also speak on that today. Just looking at how do we reach each different generation with the timeless word and message of Jesus Christ and person of Jesus Christ. So our New Testament reading, uh, as we look at that, will be from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 14 through 16. Mark 10, verses 14 through 16. That's page 1076 in your pew Bible. So where Jesus is teaching adults, and there's a crowd of adults around, and there's kind of a funny comedic scene here uh, that goes on that tells us a bunch about how we can be intergenerational. Actually starting 13, if you would, it says this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, in a small West Texas town, true story, school had just started, so they're right at the end of summer. It's a small middle school, maybe a hallway or two. And the kids had been out playing for recess, the middle school kids. And then they came in for class. And the 50-something-year-old principal got on the intercom that the whole school could hear, and he said this, Haley Roberts, you left your thong on the blacktop. Please come and get it. Laughter up and down the hallways. Principal not realizing what he's saying. Haley Roberts, please come to the blacktop. You've left your thong on the playground. And to his surprise and shock, Haley showed up a few minutes in tears with her teacher bursting in crying. Well, Haley, what's wrong? The principal said, how you humiliated me, you embarrassed me. You said I left my thong on the playground. Well, yes, honey, you left your thong on the playground. She said, sir, that's not a thong. A thong is underwear. That's a flip-flop. And he said, boy, I am really in the wrong age. As Paul Newman said, for those of us that would be old enough to know and cool hand look, what we have here is a failure to communicate. That every generation is a different age and communication is difficult. And understanding each generation is a challenge, especially for the church, a challenge that we must rise to and we must be willing to meet. It's, it, it, communication is so different. For example, do you realize that if a middle school kid says this to you, one of these words, that you are bay, that you are sick, that you are dope, or that you are goat, that's a compliment? That babe means beyond, beyond all else, that sick means awesome, that dope means cool, and that goat means the greatest of all time. You've just been complimented. It's a different language. It's a different age. How do we communicate? How do we connect with these younger generations? In fact, what we must realize is what was said by a middle school boy to his dad. His dad, the, the, the middle school boy had gotten in trouble, had done something wrong, and the dad started that great... That great comment that we all have used to talk about the glory days and what it was like when he was growing up. And he started off by saying, son, when you're my age. And the young boy cut him off and said, dad, you were never my age. And we weren't. We were never their age. Technology, culture, geography, social media has changed things exponentially so fast that we really were not the age of our young people. Let's look at how unique each generation is for a second as we talk about how do we communicate the gospel effectively to each of these generations. Here's kind of an overview that we kind of sociologists use. Just a quick kind of reminder. Traditionalists. These are the four or five generations in our culture right now in our workforce. The traditionalists, the boomers, the founders, the silent generation. Tom Brokaw calls them the great generation, born before 1945. This is the, the builders, the founders. These are our parent, grandparents and great-grandparents. These are the folks that built the country. Uh, their defining moment, the moment that they all identify with, was Pearl Harbor. My dad was 17 years old in Sarah, Oklahoma, and he heard FDR say, Today is a day of infamy. He learned it on the radio. He was 17. A year later, he was fighting on the shores of Okinawa. His motto, or maybe his bumper sticker, was a penny saved, a penny earned, which my son said, Who wants to save pennies? The baby boomers, the biggest bulk of people to come through after the traditionalists, the boomers born 46 to 64, the flower children, the, 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 the 60s revolution, who every one of us that's a boomer remembers exactly when and where we were when we heard that Kennedy was shot. 
I was in third grade, second grade at Western Plateau Elementary when my teacher came in crying and said, the president has been shot and sent us home to watch Walter Cronkite on TV. We remember that. That's the boomers defining times. Our, our bumper sticker was all you need is love. And then we got older was he who dies with the most toys wins. It kind of changed. The Gen Xers, born 65 to 76, the, the, what they call the cynical generation, the, the generation that wasn't buying it anymore. Um, every one of them remembers. My wife's an Xer. She remembers the Challenger explosion where my dad saw about, learned about Pearl Harbor on the radio. And I learned about Kennedy by going home and watching that late night news. Gen Xers had a TV rolled into their classroom and they saw the Challenger explosion in, in their classroom for the first time. Perhaps their bumper sticker was, just do it, just get it done. A very independent, a very survival generation. Then the millennials, the Gen Ys, Will's talked about them before, 77 to 1995-ish. Uh, this generation that is, is coming to church less than any other generation so far. It's the smallest generation. Uh, uh, the Xers, or, I say, or the smallest millennials, are going to become one of the largest generations, and then the next generation is larger than that. But the millennials, uh, their defining moment, not only did they see 9-11, they saw it as it happened live, as that second airplane hit. Their world was changed forever by 9-11. And their bumper sticker is kind of like, whatever. Another shooting? Eh, another war? Another election? Whatever. And this wonderful generation that we have the privilege of working with, that Jake and Anna, this wonderful generation of iGens, they're all wonderful generations, but... Whatever this next generation, and by the way, millennials and iGens hate to be labeled by any of these. iGen, the iPhone, the iPad, the me, 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 the Gen Z, the Centennials, whatever you want to call them, 1996 and after, our high school, middle school, college, what will be their defining, what will be their Pearl Harbor? Las Vegas, where they're actually watching people who are on their phones live being shot? Will it be that uh, mass shooting, or will it be... The 2016 election that changed the world for the first time. People said he's not my president. And kids said I'm not going to school. What will be their defining moment? But we know what their motto is, don't we? Ready? Selfie! That's their motto. The average high school person has over 213 pictures of themselves in their phone. My grandmother had one picture of herself on the wall. It's a different generation. What? And we were never their age. We were never the age of these young people. How do we... Answer the questions. What are the questions that are being asked? And how do we stay relevant and yet biblical with this culture? James Chong, I saw this presented recently at an eco meeting, gave us a very helpful, helpful uh, slide here about what each generation is asking. Each generation asks a question, and we as the church have to be ready for the answer. The question the traditionalists asked was, is it right? Black, white, right, wrong, is it right? The Ten Commandments, the most popular movie. What is the right thing to do? The boomers, is it true? Can we believe it? Can we buy it? The skepticism of the 60s, of Watergate, uh, uh, of religious scandals. Is it true? The Gen Xers, is it real, authentic? Is marriage real? Is striving for the mighty dollar real because my parents aren't together anymore? My dad worked himself to death. Is it real? They were asking, is the Bible real? Is Jesus real? That was the, the, the question. Millennials, interesting question. Is it good? Is it good for the environment? Is it good for my neighbor? I won't buy a product unless it helps someone in another country. I won't do anything that offends uh, either another race or another religion. Is it good? That is the question they ask. And then the iGens, 
Our high school, they're asking, is it beautiful? The world is visual. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, their own movies. They make their own movies. They make their own entertainment. They want to know what does it look like? Is it beautiful? How do we bring the unchanging, changeless, ageless word of Jesus to these different generations? What can we do to be relative? What can we be to be relevant, I should say? How do we do that? Well, I think Jesus, as always, gives me a good picture. Jesus is sitting, talking to adults. And the, the, they're crowded around him. He's talking to big theologies. I'm sure it's the Pharisees and all the who's who of the town. And they're talking to Jesus. And these parents start bringing their kids to Jesus. It says to touch them either as a blessing or to be healed or just to be in the presence of Jesus. These parents are dying for their kids to be t- in front of Jesus. And there's two types of adults in this picture. <laughs> they want to sit in Jesus' lap. There's the adults that are helping. I want this child to be in front of Jesus. And there's adults that are hurting, that are hindering the disciples, the religious guys, the people who are supposed to get it. The churchgoers are hindering. It says they tell the parents and children, He's too busy for you. You can't get in front of Jesus. Who do you think you are? It says they are hindered, and Jesus is indignant. You don't want Jesus to be indignant to you, folks. You're not helping. You are hurting young people, being in the presence, in my presence. They need to be here. Let them come to me. In fact, you need to be more like them. The question for the church, the question for us is, are we helping adults? Are we a church that's helping young people come to Jesus? Are we a people in a society or church that is hindering our young people to come to Jesus? It's a life and death question for the history of our church, for the history of our faith. I can show you churches in this town, in this city, in this state that neglected their young people and they no longer are in business. They sold their church to somebody else. Because they didn't help their children or have a vision, they hindered them like the disciples. How do we do this? What do we see happening? Well, I know after 45 years of working with young people, just a few things that might be helpful and challenging to all of us as we think about our young people, especially the millennials and the iGens. Every generation is important, folks, but you guys are here. They're not. They're not going to be here. They won't be here in college. They won't grow up in church unless we stay on it and stay true to what Christ is doing here. The first thing I want to encourage you with is that our, our millennials and our identities, they truly do want to know Jesus. They seek Jesus. The second thing I want to talk to you is to be aware. We must be very vigilant and aware that the world wants to keep our young people from Jesus. More than ever, there are more obstacles than ever. The next thing is I want to tell you is that we have to be willing to put scripture over tradition and religion, and that's going to challenge you, and you're going to struggle with that one. To put scripture over tradition and religion. The answer is not, this is the way we've always done it. That's not a biblical answer. And finally, we must model authentic love for Jesus and love for them. What they really need is an authentic modeling of love for Jesus and love for them. Let's talk about a couple of these. First, I just want to encourage you. I've been in youth ministry for 40-something years, starting in college with Young Life. And I've never seen kids so hungry for the gospel. I've never seen kids, not just in our country, I've never seen kids flock to, uh, to, to hear the word of God. This is your high school kids. There's some 70 high school kids there in the A&O house. 
They are busy. This is the busiest generation. They have club sports where they have to travel every weekend. They have honor classes. They're in symphony set. They are in debates. They are giving, doing things. For their, they're the busiest generation we've ever had. We're wearing them out, by the way. But guess what? On Wednesdays, they'll come for t- hours, two hours. They don't want to be entertained. They're over-entertained. They're overstimulated. They want to worship Jesus. And they, when we open the Bible, they bring their own Bible. And I want you to look at this. I want you to notice something I've never seen in history. They're taking notes, folks, at church. What's going on here? They're hungry. A youth minister said they're so worn out with high tech, they just want high touch. They're so worn out with social media and the shallowness of all the Twitters and Instagram and Facebooks and applications. They just want some meat. Be of good cheer. Kids want to know about Jesus. They want to come to Jesus. We have a high school girl who uh, is a great basketball player. She wanted to go on our ski trip. Her parents said, you can't go on the ski trip because you're on the basketball team. She said, I'll quit basketball. And we're all like, no, don't quit basketball for a ski trip. But then she found out that a friend of hers, whose mother had died, the single mother of the children, she was now parentless, that this young lady wanted to go on the ski trip and that she would go if the basketball player went. So that young lady went back to her coach and said, Coach, I'm going on the a ski trip because my friend has had the worst year of her life and she said she'll go if I go. So do what you will, punish me, but I'm going on the ski trip. And he said, why would I punish you? He said, well, I know I'm going to miss games. I know I'm going to be here and you're going to think I'm not dedicated. He said, young lady, you go on that ski trip. You're good. These kids want to be with Jesus. It's happened all over the country. In Ohio, May 2016, when high school students were told they couldn't sing the Lord's Prayer at the graduation ceremony, they were told, none of you can sing it. And at the end of her valedictorian speech, the young lady started singing the Lord's Prayer. The entire graduating class and the entire auditorium rose and sang the Lord's Prayer. In Burleson, Texas, at Joshua High School, the valedictorian was told, do not talk about Jesus Christ, we'll turn your mic off. They turned his mic off, he pulled out a bullhorn and finished his testimony. <laughs> These kids want to know Jesus. Be of good cheer. I've never seen a hunger for kids like this. This generation can and will change the world for Jesus if we just help them and not hinder them. But the second thing I want you to be very aware of is that our generation, our culture, this world wants desperately to keep our kids from believing in Jesus Christ. Never before has it been such a confusing time to be a young person. Peter says it like this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour this culture, this society. Satan is after these kids because he knows the potential they have to change the world and to light up the world for Jesus Christ. And he is on the move against them. And we must be aware. You want some examples? There's millions of them. This is one of the most famous actresses in the world. Her name is Amber Heard. She is uh, in Justice League. She is very, very famous. She um, <clears throat> was being interviewed. She was Johnny Depp's old boyfriend and Miley Cyrus's girlfriend. And she said, I refuse to be identified as male and female anymore. I'm just human. I refuse to accept a gender. Folks, we were never, ever in this age. We did not grow up in this age. We were never this age when sexuality is being completely Challenged male, female, transgender, etc. The classic, iconic jewelry store, Zales, 
My grandmother bought her wedding ring there. My dad bought her mother's, my mom's wedding ring there. Zales now during public prime time shows a same-sex wedding and engagement party. Whatever you think about this, we were never this age. This is so confusing to kids about what scripture says is the biblical definition of marriage. It is being challenged every time they turn around. Do you realize that a 16-year-old girl can see more evil erotic images in 24 hours than an 80-year-old has seen his whole life? We were never this age, folks. Here in Amarillo, Texas, you're driving down the road, and there you go. It doesn't say don't do drugs. It doesn't say just say no. It doesn't say get help or get counseling. It says got weed. Well, that's going to stop a lot of people right there. It's okay if you're smoking it. It's too bad you got busted. We'll get you off the hook. You got weed? Folks, we were never this age. Whatever you think about the legalization of marijuana, this is a different world. And the gospel is being challenged. My wife read yesterday in New York City that the city of New York has hired transgenders and drag queens once a week has to read children's stories in the public library once a week. They have enlisted drag queens to read stories to children. Satan is out for our kids, folks, confusing them. And it's also here in Amarillo, Texas. Do you remember the blue laws? Anybody here remember what a blue law was? You couldn't go to a store. You couldn't work. God bless Chick-fil-A. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Any given Sunday, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, go out to the soccer field. There's thousands of people there because we've said, eh, just Sunday. Our kids are confused. Three weeks ago, there was a high school party given by adults who gave alcohol to minors. Kids got drunk. Kids were smoking. There was a fist fight. The police came. This is happening in our culture. In another one of our high schools, four ninth grade girls got suspended for distributing Xanax that they bought from a senior at one of our high schools. Satan is out for our kids, folks. Are we going to hinder or are we going to help? There's never been a time like this. We have to be on the, on the point. But here's the next good thing I would say. Besides knowing that our kids really want to know Jesus and that Satan's out to get them Here's something that makes all the difference for churches working or not. We must be willing to put scripture over tradition and religion or we will lose another generation. Will talked about this. Howard talked about this. We must be willing to put scripture over our generation, our traditions, what we liked. We must be biblical instead of generational and have our opinions or we'll lose our kids. They don't care about our old stories, our politics. They don't care about how it was done in the good old days. They care about the truth and scripture is where we must take them. Perhaps you've heard the story of a Thanksgiving family where the mom was cooking a ham. She pulled out the ham to treat it and put it in the oven. And before she put it in the oven, she cut three inches off the end of the ham. She said, a 10-year-old daughter's watching, Mom, why do you cut three inches off the ham? The mom says to her daughter, because my mother did it. Well, Grandma was there in the other room. Daughter goes, granddaughter goes, Grandma, how come you cut three inches off the end of the ham before you put it in the oven? She says, well, you know what? I never thought of that, Dad. My mother did it. Drive to the nursing home. <clears throat> Talk to the great-great-grandmother. Great-great-grandmother, why do you cut three inches off the end of the ham? She said, because my pan was only this big. <laughs> Folks, we've got to quit cutting the end off the ham and get a new pan. We've got to focus on Scripture, not this is how I like it, this is how we've always done it, this is what we do here. We have to ask the question, is it biblical, not generational? 
The president of Young Life, Bob Mitchell, tells a story. He's at a Young Life camp. Young Life is an evangelistic organization. We just support Orlando to go on their staff. They go after non-Christian, de-churched, unchurched kids that won't come to a church. They go after kids that don't know Jesus. They're at a camp, Frontier Ranch, up in Colorado. And they bring a, a group of adults and pastors to show how they're doing this ministry. And the pastor and the adults are blown away. There's gangster kids from Harlem. There's street kids from L.A. They've got these tough kids. They're singing about Jesus. They're hearing about Jesus. They're, outdoor, they're having a good time without being drunk or stoned. And that night after one of the meetings, the pastors and the adults are walking by and they look over and they see a group of young men standing around the smoker's pit. Because every young man has a smoker's pit for the smokers. And they're incensed. The pastors are just incredulous. And they go into him in the room and they say, how could you, sir, how could your organization let kids smoke? He said, gentlemen, ladies, we're trying to save their hearts, not their lungs. Cigarette smoking is not going to send them to hell and not smoking is not going to get them to heaven. We want them to be saved first and then Jesus will deal with the rest. We're after their hearts, not their habits. Folks, we have to be about kids' hearts and be biblical, not about their habits. Their habits will change. Let's make sure we're helping and not hindering. And the final thing that is so helpful here that I see with Scripture, and actually Howard talked about it last week, what can we do? What can I do at my age? I don't understand this stuff. I don't know what Twitter is. I can't even text. How do I relate to this? I think Jesus, all through Scripture, the Scripture says, what our kids need is that we model authentic love for Jesus and for them, that kids see Jesus in us, not religion, not Republican, not age, but they see Jesus, that we model it and we show them that we love them, that we care about them. There's no adult table and kid table. There's just one big table, a table of the Lord around Jesus Christ. Gandhi, of course, the prime minister who overthrew, part of the overthrow of the British, uh, in, in the prime minister, the great Hindu Buddhist, he said this. He was talking to a Christian. They asked him about Christianity. Gandhi says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. By this, all men shall know you, my disciples, that you show love for one another. When kids look at us and our lifestyle, do they see us concerned about minutiae and ranting and raving about traditions and habits? And so, or do they hear us loving and showing the love of Jesus? So Jesus does this, it says in Matthew 18, 2 through 3. He says, you guys aren't getting this, are you? And he looks at the little one. He says, hey, little one, come here. Puts a small child. The word here is probably barely, I mean, is a top, an infant almost barely walking. As he put him in the midst of them, and he said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you see this kiddo here? They don't care about tradition. They don't care about the past or what's right. They just love me. Unless you have that childlike faith, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Are we showing kids Jesus, and are we loving them the way Jesus loves them so much that he died for them? Karl Barth, the great theologian, world-renowned, wrote volumes and volumes, stuff in seminary I could hardly get through, one of the most brilliant theologians on earth, whatever you think of his theology. He was speaking toward the end of his career, 1962 at the University of Chicago. At the end of his speech, a young student stands up and says, Professor Barth, if you could... Put all, encapsulate, put all of your theology into maybe one word or one sentence, all your learning into one statement, what would it be? He says, oh, that's easy. That's what my mother told me, and the same, what she's just saying to me. Here's all my theology that ever matters. Jesus loves me. 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Folks, I hope that's who we are. I hope as we think about the next generations, that that is what's important to us. No matter the generation, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He does not change. No matter what your age or generation, Jesus is right for you because he, the Son of God, Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the truth. The truth shall set you free. Jesus is real. He's so real. He became God who became a man and really died on the cross. And he really does love us. Jesus is good. He was the only good man. And he traded his goodness for our badness so we could be good. Kids need to know that. Every generation needs to know that. And finally, Jesus is beautiful, no matter what generation. What is more beautiful than to see a God hanging on a cross in your place? Jesus is beautiful. We may have never been these kids' age, but Jesus is ageless. And he loves them, and they need to be able to sit in his lap. Are you sitting in his lap? Is someone or something keeping you from Jesus? Make sure first you know that Jesus loves you and died for you. Go sit in his lap. And then please, please, church, let's do everything we can to help kids get to Jesus and not to hinder them. Amen.